Brad, you'll never guess what I got. I don't need to see your athlete's foot again, man. No, Bill Murray's secret phone number. You mean the only way to pitch him a project? Yep. You leave him a message, and if he likes it, he calls you back. How'd you get it? Easy. I stole Dan Aykroyd's phone. Awesome. Are you going to ask him what he says to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? No. We can't waste this call on something that trivial. You're right. We can probably get Colin Jost to tell us anyway. Are you going to ask him to be a guest on High on Film? I'd love to, but we only have this one chance. Oh, God. You're not going to pitch him your larger-than-life reboot, are you? It's not a reboot. It's a direct sequel. From Los Angeles, California, it's High on Film! Tonight, we've got Ryan McKelvey and Broken Flowers. I think this whole thing is a farce, a fiasco, on tonight's episode. Welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film Sobering Talk About Movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host, and welcome to the show. Boy, in our last couple of episodes, Hollywood rained down Oscar gold on on Los Angeles. And, uh, well, April showers bring May flowers. And that's exactly what we're talking about here today. Broken Flowers, from the year of our Lord, 2005, from an idea inspired by Bill Raden and Sarah Driver, written and directed by the king, nay, the embodiment of American independent cinema, Jim Jarmusch. I was so excited to revisit this film. I saw it in theaters when it came out, and serendipitously, over my quarantine, I made a point of watching every single Jim Jarmusch feature film that I had never seen before. I am a completist on this director. Uh, I am, I'm all done except for one film that is not available anywhere. It is his Neil Young biopic uh, called Year of the Horse. It's, it's not available anywhere. Listeners, if you know where it is, please let me know. I, it's the only film I have left of his feature length films that I haven't seen. And I did not revisit this because I had already seen it. I, it was very vivid in my memory still. Uh, and boy, did I not remember a decent amount of it from what I thought. That being said, I've seen 14 of Jim Jarmusch features, Jim Jarmusch's features. But my co-host, I believe, is now only on his second moosh. You know him as the co-host from the couch. <laughs> The podcaster of disaster and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hello, Chris. Hey, Brad. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you? Oh, dude, I'm just doing fantastic. I love this film even more than I did the first time I saw it. It's pretty fantastic. I didn't really know what to expect going into this movie, uh, especially as I've only (laughs) mooshed twice. Um, But I was pretty blown away by this movie i think it's pretty phenomenal well you also we we should mention since we're saying over and over again that this is your second mooshing your first moosh was uh only lovers left alive for this podcast 
a great episode. Also, one of my favorite Jim Jarmusch films. Correct. That was my first moosh. It's a great movie. Uh, and you think, does this one hold up for you? Does it Does it uh, exceed Only Lovers Left Alive? It's been a while since I've seen Only Lovers Left Alive, but I would say yes. It, it, it I like this more than that, and I really like that movie. But before we go any further about this movie, I, I gotta tell you, if you're a new listener, we always have a guest. Always, 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 always. So, our guest today, he is a a, a person of botany, a person of art, a, a a person who I am honored to have known for many, many years. Ryan McKelvey is here on the show. Welcome, Ryan. Hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. Hello, Brad. Hello, Hello. Chris. <laughs> Ryan, welcome to the show. So happy to have you for your very first appearance. Now, we tasked you with choosing a movie about flowers or with flowers in the title for our May Flowers series, and you chose Broken Flowers. A- any reasoning behind that? You've seen it before, right? You- once before? Oh, of course. Yes, yes. I wanted to revisit it. Um, I was thinking long and hard about this flower thing and the the colors and the repetition I thought would be a good start for a kind of a, a movie that maybe thematically and tonally is maybe the opposite spirit of a Mayflower's kind of sort of energy, right? This sort of spring summery energy is not really what is going on for Dawn, but I thought it would be a good choice for us to like jump into. And I love the way they use the noir elements in this movie. It was very, uh, very original way to like go at a kind of a movie that feels like we've seen this trope before of like going past through through ex-lovers and yet adding this noir element I thought was pretty genius. So yeah, right up my alley, obviously. Well, before we go any further, Brad and I have prepared a little movie trailer to get you acquainted or reacquainted with this film. Have you seen it before? So, here that is. In a world where people mail letters, listen to burn CDs, and navigate using printouts from MapQuest. <laughs> Why that's so 20th century? <laughs> one man's perpetual bachelorhood will bring on some very obvious comparisons. I just don't think I want to be with him. I know that hell don't want anymore. That's the way life's been, though, right? You, you like, uh, like that one? Winston, please stop saying that. Bill Murray is Don Johnston, the recipient of an anonymous letter from an ex-lover with some surprising news. Hey, congratulations, you're a father. With the encouragement of his crime novel-obsessed neighbor, he'll embark on a cross-country journey in search of the identity of the mother of his son. You bring flowers, bring flowers. You're just checking in. From a flirtatious widow, to a former flower child with broken dreams, to a successful animal psychic. No, I told you. (laughs) I'm a communicator. Don will look for closure in his past relationships. But will he ever solve the mystery of his progeny's identity? I'm a stalker in a Taurus. Focus Features presents a tale of philandering coming home to roost. That's my report, Sherlock the general outline of what you put me through. Bill Murray, Julie Delphi, Sharon Stone, Francis Conroy, Jessica Lange, Tilda Swinton. 
and Jeffrey Wright. Interesting choice of name, Laura. Sometimes life brings some strange surprises. Then, Larry exploded in a ball of flames at the track. That happened. Jim Jarmusch's Broken Flowers. And I don't have any kids. Do I? Oh, okay. Boy, I, I really do love this movie. I liked it the first time. I think I really fell in love with it this time. And now it's time for Trash. Star. Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy for another week, our very first segment of the show. We give you three movies of a similar ilk. One, you must trash, which means it's eliminated from existence. One, you get to star in, which means you get to take whatever part you'd like to take for yourself. And the third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film that has ever existed has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of The Island fame. Let's do, we've talked about it already. This is a Jim Jarmusch film starring Bill Murray. He has done a few of those. So let's do three Jarmusch-Murray pairings. We'll do their very first pairing, a compilation film of short films that Jim Jarmusch has been filming for almost his entire cinematic career. Uh, he put them all together and called it Coffee and Cigarettes. We'll do the film we just watched, Broken Flowers. And lastly, we'll do his film from nigh on two years ago, his zombie entry, The Dead Don't Die. Coffee and cigarettes, broken flowers, The Dead Don't Die, trash, star, destroy. Wow. 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 Well, I think I can kick this off. Thanks, Brad. Of course. Happy to do it. Um, I... I'm going to, I mean, I haven't seen the other two, obviously, other than Broken Flowers. I've only mooshed twice, but mm. I, <laughs> uh, I'm going to start in Broken Flowers um, and Ooh. I will take the role, oh, I should have looked up the actor's name, of the kid at the end that mm -hmm. he has the conversation with. 100%. Wow. Easy. Easy. Wow. I, I mean, obviously, there's most of the other roles in this movie are women other than like Winston and Jeffrey Wright is mm -hmm. like is too good to take out of that role even though that's tempting because it's such a fun role to play in this movie but I'll take um the kid at the end Mark Weber Mark, Mark Weber, Weber good old Mark name literally billed as the kid um I mean <laughs> the, obviously that scene's great and just to be able to like sit across from Bill Murray and just have a long scene is awesome so that's an easy no-brainer for me um and then i guess i mean the dead don't die to me plays into michael bay's hands more than uh coffee and cigarettes does but i'm more intrigued to see him have to do something like coffee and cigarettes like put him in a box and force him <laughs> to do these kind of like Sim much simpler idea. I think it would drive him eight to twelve short he, films. It would drive him nuts. 
and all on a similar theme. I'm I'm intrigued by that. So I'm gonna give that to Michael Bay, which sorry to coffee and cigarettes, it deserves a better fate, but unfortunately my curiosity got the best of me. In mm. which case then I'm trashing uh the dead don't die. Wow. Not bad. I, I've only seen Dead Don't Die once, but it is definitely lower on my Jarmish rankings. Uh, but who knows? Mm. Maybe like Broken Flowers, it will skyrocket from what I previously thought. <laughs> Ryan, what are you doing with these three? Well, I feel like this was perhaps maybe a little easier than I thought at first once I really sat down and made my decisions. Um, really, I think what it comes down to for this game, and I think maybe for the listeners who don't know me, my inclinations usually in life are to like preface preference the performance or the performed or being the actor or or doing something in that in that ilk so you know i'm like oh great what am i going to do am i going to trash am i going to star am i going to destroy and i think about starring first but in this case actually michael bay it's (laughs) michael bay that took over my brain though because i was looking at these three films and i was like i can't do like i can't do this to jarmouche like i can't do this to jarmouche (laughs) But I have to. And so I've never seen The Dead Don't Die. And I watched a trailer and was like, oh, man, I kind of want to watch this um, because it's like Jarmouche, but like a zombie film. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that sounds great. Oh, it is cast, absolutely cast, a Jarmouche. And the yeah. cast, like all the similar similar actors and players. Like I love this about uh filmmakers and and creators like Jarmouche is that you you really get to develop these you get to see actors that you enjoy really flourish anyway I'm I'm going off here but I'm going to destroy it because I think it's just I'm going to be generous to Michael Bay I guess and say that you can have this zombie film and get off all of your little teenagers that you want to make excited and make all the little teenage boys happy. And I'm sure, you know, the zombies will be more like hyper feminine. And Ryan, there's plenty of grown men who love. I mean, Michael come on, but Michael Bay basically just wants to make movies for teenagers. So go ahead, take a zombie film. Not right. I, I now, now first off, I knew for a fact that as an actor, I'm sorry, I am not trying to say that I'm Kate Blanchett. I'm not Kate Blanchett, but I want the cousin scene because that's like an actor's, like that's a six ticket six, whatever acting exercise to play yourself in these like totally different archetypical characters that are like somehow related and you don't really know so much about them, but you just get so much from the way that she nuanced that performance. And I just think it's like really cute and well-written and I would like to play that coffee we should mention yeah coffee and cigarettes Kate Blanchett plays dual role roles opposite herself Uh, and that vignette is called cousins and so that you kind of understand that these two women are cousins and you know one is maybe a little more uppity the one's a little more rocker and it's just a really tight scene that a a, a phenomenal actor you know made made even better but that would be my star uh, another film this that was actually my first moosh was coffee and really? cigarettes and yeah yeah and that scene is that the one is Kate Blanchett the one who's like mad at the waiter for putting in too much cream and yes. then too little cream correct. okay yeah I thought so correct yeah it's great it is fantastic yeah and, and just the, the the subtleties of like the sharing of the cigarette and like the yeah, it is just a really cute, tight scene. Um, unfortunately, yeah. that means I am going to trash Broken Flowers as a Jarmouche fan. It's really just not. 
it's actually not like really up that high for me in terms of Jarmusch um, and his work. Uh, I think what makes it a stellar film besides being a Jarmusch film is the overall package, the actors, the script, the, 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 the tone, things like that. But yeah, I, I'm just going to risk it and say trash it because I can't destroy it. Because let's remember that there are really, really amazing, really amazing women in this film that Jarmouche, uh, in my opinion, is very careful about not going over the line. And I feel if we gave this film to Michael Bay, it would be absolutely horrible and traumatic to a lot of people. <laughs> so no, let's not do that. Better to trash <laughs> it. I agree. Boy, that being said, I, I'm starring in Broken Flowers. I'm playing the kid. Oh. Sorry, Brad. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sharing I mean, that scene we can, have, we can hold an audition later and see. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm playing the kid. Uh, I'm doing that whole scene with Bill Murray. I think it's great. It's going to be really fun. This is my third favorite Jim Jarmusch film since the rewatch. And yeah, I guess predictably then what I'm going to do, and a little strategically, I'm going to trash coffee and cigarettes because now it's no longer a feature, but maybe it's still a, a whole bunch of shorts he's done throughout his life. So they still all exist. They've just never been compiled and released as a feature. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm giving Michael Bay a zombie movie. Just because, well, again, I, as I said, a little lower on my Jarmusch list than uh, I had hoped when I I had watched the trailer. But, uh, you know, Zack Snyder's, one of his best films is his remake of Dawn of the Dead. So give a, an action director a zombie movie. They're going to do okay. Yeah, that plays. I mean, Bay can handle that better than any of the rest of these for sure. All right, guys, we got time for one more Trash Star Destroy, so Ooh. let's get to it. Ooh. Brad, you mentioned earlier Broken Flowers, as I'm sure our trailer most likely did as well. Sure, uh, Broken Flowers is about, <laughs> it's about a Don Juan going back through a bunch of ex-lovers and girlfriends. So let's do three movies where you are given a litany of former lovers. We'll do maybe The Godfather of former lovers movies, High Fidelity. The Edgar Wright uh, classic, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which has given us virtually every A-list star existing today. <laughs> and finally, our old pal Matthew McConaughey is back. We'll do Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. High Fidelity, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, Trash, Star, Destroy. This is hard. Because it really is the question of, like, do you star in High Fidelity or Scott Pilgrim? Because I... I oh, wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, I mean, I'm going to star in High Fidelity. Like, the Scott Pilgrim temptation is mostly to work with Edgar Wright. And a awesome cast, obviously. But High Fidelity is too good to not star in. Then mm. the question becomes, what role do you take? Uh, obviously the Cusack role, but Cusack's pretty perfect in that role. The Jack Black role. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, but also perfect in that role. Like what do you, um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You got to take Cusack. Yeah. You, you got to take uh, Cusack. No offense, Brad. You can replicate what John Cusack does. I don't think you can replicate what. Jack I definitely Jack can't. Re I, that is absolutely fair. And the Cusack role is 
right up my alley as far as a something I would enjoy doing as a performance. So you are right. Uh, I, I have been pushed in the proper direction. I'm taking the Cusack role in High Fidelity. Um, which then I think I have to trash Scott Pilgrim because I don't, I mean, that movie I, I like, I, I don't love, but I, I like that movie quite a bit. And I think that movie is probably trash, uh, is garbage if made by Bay. So therefore I am trashing Scott Pilgrim and Ghosts of Girlfriends Past to Michael Bay. I don't think <laughs> McConaughey and Michael Bay have never worked together. I don't believe, and that is long overdue. Those two are made for one another. Um, so to me, that's kind of a no-brainer, easy call there of give, give Matthew and Michael a little time together. All right, all right, all right. Ryan, what are you doing here? I also, just to get it out of the way, I Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, which I have not seen. I will have to preface this by saying I've not seen it, but I you're, did. Like, you're not missing much. I'm not missing much. I watched a trailer. I read a synopsis. I was like, not for me. Not for and me. And you can go back and listen to the episode of High on Film. <laughs> oh, not for me. <laughs> and so I am going to destroy it because I do feel like. I just would love to see it be even more ridiculous than it already is. I'm going to trash Scott Pilgrim as well. I just think it's, um, I think it's really fun. I think it's an exciting sort of wild scenario with this great, like cast of (laughs) just like a really great cast of like an opportunity for, actors to be in these really fantastical roles that aren't often get you don't often get a chance to do so though i am trashing it i just can't say i can't see giving it to bay and turning it into like this like teeny blockbustery saccharine bs high fidelity now now this is a tricky one okay because there there's just like a lot of really important people in the film right and so, like, what do you do? I want to say that I also want to be the lead. I want to be Rob Gordon. But I but I would love to have the liberty of saying that in my fantasy, I star in High Fidelity, but it's a queer male story. Hey, you're the star. You, you have influence over the film. See, exactly. Exactly. I mean, That's if they cool. can make if they can make a new version for, like, whatever, what was it? Netflix? Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, Netflix? Hulu. Hulu. Oh, yeah. Hulu. Oh, Yeah. Which was terrific. I'm so sad they canceled it. I absolutely loved it. I did like it. It was so good. I did like it as well. And that actually reminds me why I like this film so much and why I would want to be the lead is because John Cusack and Zoe Kravitz both um, did really, really well with a, a story, a film that includes a direct monologue to the audience, direct address. And I love direct address. I love, love, love direct address. And it's just, it's just done in such a really fun way that I don't know, like really feels like the period. God, even though it's probably a foregone conclusion, I would do, I'd star as Rob and high fidelity. I'm going to be different since we've already covered that. I'll star in Scott Pilgrim. I'm going to be motherfucking Scott Pilgrim and I'm going to get to act with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Kieran Culkin and Chris Evans, Brie Larson. Is she in that one? 
or is she not in that? Is she the one who's like famous now who's not in it? Either way, those are the people I'm excited to be friends with and form long lasting relationships with from that movie and my work with Edgar Wright, which would just be fantastic. And then, you know what? For shits and giggles, let's give high fidelity to Michael Bay. He probably changes it from like a record store to like a, a auto body shop. And, and Rob Gordon goes through the pieces of a car as he goes through his past relationships. And of course, they're always his fault. They're absolutely, he's a product of toxic masculinity. So wow. we're going to do that. And we can call it high torque or something. <laughs> and, and then we're trashing Ghosts of Girlfriends Pass pretty easily, I think. Wow. And Brie Larson is in Scott Pilgrim. Hey, great. There we go. You did it. Yeah. Uh, I've been talking a lot about Short Term 12 recently, so I couldn't remember if I just conflated the two. Guys, that's Trash Star Destroy for another week. And Ryan, you're going to love this because this is a a direct address to the listeners. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more High End Film, more Ryan McKelvey, and more Broken Flowers right after this. Craving that meditative Jarmusian pace? But you wish the plot was centered around an assassin? No, it's not Ghost Dog. It's The Limits of Control. Isaac DeBencoli stars as the espresso-obsessed lone man, but instead of delivering flowers to find his estranged son, he's collecting matchboxes to track down his target. Featuring frequent Jarmusch collaborators Tilda Swinton, Yuki Kudo, and Bill Murray. For every way in, there's another way out. Jim Jarmusch's The Limits of Control. Welcome back to High on Film. I'm Chris Maxwell. That's Brad Davis. That's Ryan McKelvey, our guest. And we're talking the Jim Jarmusch Oscar bid for Bill Murray, Broken Flowers. He didn't win for Lost in Translation. This was a huge push for Bill Murray to win an Oscar. And he did not, unfortunately. Uh, still Oscarless as of this recording. And that is a damn travesty, I'd say. Uh, both Lost in Translation and this film are award-winning performances. Agreed. He's fantastic in this movie. But we're about to break it down for you scene by scene with a, with a segment we call Scene Work. What an apt title. We're an optimistic podcast, so we'll start things off optimistically with... Best scene. We're going to name our top three best scenes. Let's have them, guys. What are we looking at? Number three. My number three spot's actually hard for me because I have two here that are like neck and neck that I want to talk about. So I'm just going to go with my gut on this one because I feel like we might get to the other one. Um, The number three scene for me is Bill Murray at the grave of... What was it Michelle Pepe? Michelle Pepe. Yeah. Michelle Pepe. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you're is, saying three is in three, two, one? This correct. Is your so it's my third, or? my third okay. best scene in this movie. Um, okay. I think, I think this movie does a fantastic job of not of showing and not telling. Like you go into the houses and it's him looking at in the one house. It's him looking at the race car stuff. So you kind of know what this family's like. In the in the second house, you know they. Good mm-hmm. pre-deck pre-furnished house like he does such mm-hmm. a fantastic job of that throughout this movie and mm-hmm. i think it is such a beautiful scene 
that you kind of have seen him go th- through all these women who he had a past history with and for him to get to this woman and literally just put the flowers down, say, hey, beautiful, and sit against a tree and cry is fantastic work to show the one he really loved, I think. Like, I, I kind of, while watching this movie, it was interesting to see, like, without much telling how these women were to him in his life, like kind of what these relationships were without really showing what they were, without really telling what they were. And I think that one, uh, Murray does a fantastic job of not, of acting without saying anything. And I think that beautifully depicts like the one, his one true love. Oh, Brad, listen, I have so much to say about what you just said. One, I totally agree with you. This is a gorgeous moment. It is some of Bill Murray's best acting. It reminds me, and I mean this in the highest praise possible, that it reminds me of Tom Hanks at the end of Captain Phillips, mm. where it's such a real moment. But I, I actually am going to chide Jarmusch here for a second. He cuts away too quickly. I want to sit with Bill Murray in that moment for longer because his eyes are welling with tears. The, the I mean, he is very real and raw in this whole film. And it's just he's overcome in this moment and i i wish we got to sit in this sadness longer i really really do say what you will about that mm. i mean i the only thing i'll say to that is like i get that but also i think he accomplished what he was trying to do in the time he did it well True. well here's where i want to i really want to challenge you a little bit you think michelle pepe's his one true love or you think he's just overcome with emotion that she's dead and he's seen all his ex-lovers' lives that flourished and what they become, for better or worse, and he's just kind of overcome with regret about being a Don Juan and never having progeny? That's a possibility. I mean, I, I think this a lot of what this movie is is totally uh, subjective as far as how you perceive it, so it's kind of perception. Agree. I just well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, you, though. I think the way he says "Hey, beautiful" has such love behind it that that's what told me. Like, and huh. he didn't have, okay. and and maybe, and you could totally be right, but I don't. I didn't see that affection in any of the other women he dealt with throughout the movie, and, and I. I agree with that my only evidence to my point is that when jeffrey wright tells him michelle pepe has died in the diner he doesn't really react mm. i think he and i disagree because i think he does i mean he does he does mm. react i, I think mean, so well oh I mean, sure, he, sure he reacts yeah, but like i mean it, 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 and i do believe that there is a there is if you are like brad you will see that diner scene and you will go back to that scene and you will think oh he's really thinking about her in the diner scene, when he says that, I do think, like, I, I clocked it when I saw that scene that I thought, oh, wow, that really, and granted, obviously, it was someone he had a relationship with who's dead. You're going to probably true, true, have that true. reaction one way or another, but I definitely felt a reaction there. True. Okay. Ryan, do you think Michelle Pepe is his one true love? No, 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 no. I, I mean, I don't think it's really okay. important to me, um, honestly. I would talk all day about which every one of these lovers, what kind of relationship you had with them. But yes, I'm, we will not be able to get yes. to it. Um, all right. Great. Brad, my number three would also be Michelle Pepe's, but, but since we clearly covered that, I'm just going to mention this because it was my truly crowned honorable mention is Winston's mix for Dom. <laughs> it's so damn good. Notably his burn CD for Dom that he gives him for trailing music. Yakermo so, the Mulatu Estake. Yeah. That song 
is played more than any other one, and it is fucking awesome. Yeah. I've added it to playlists after this viewing because I am so in love with it. Yeah, the the Ethiopian musician who is on the the recordings, because it's like you know Winston is Ethiopian, and then he made this like homemade CD. Um, but that man is also I feel credited as also being maybe like sound sound or something not just i think more than just being on the cd i think he also worked oh very cool with the sound the soundtrack in general for this movie is terrific i mean incredible but that home that home cd that home cd is a jarmushian thing though right you know it appears in ghost dog it appears other places before um, well, Jarmusch has such a love of rock and roll. Like it's I mean, it's in, in the DNA of every single one of his movies. Mm. Ryan, what's your number three? I would say in number three, it's a kind of transition, actually. So it's like from a scene to another scene. So in the last diner meeting between Winston and Dawn, I, I just love this like last scene that they have together. So I do love that scene. But what I really like about it is that Winston gets up and he leaves and we can see in the background, we can see the, the window of the diner and we can see outside and we see Winston get into the truck and we see Winston pull the truck back as the kid walks forward. And then Don sees the kid and immediately runs out. And it's just like, oh, I was like, oh, it's just, it's just one of these things that Jarmusch does that, <sighs> It's just like, it just gives me so much. It gives me so much. Yeah, it uses the whole depth of field. The whole, yeah, the whole depth wonderful. of field. Yeah, yeah. And then also just this, like, the way that, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're right. And so I would say that that is probably in my third because it leads into the scene with the, the kid. But it's really about the transition. So the transition would be my third. He's fantastic with composition. Uh, number two. What are we at? Uh, number two, I have uh, the dinner scene with Dora and Ron. Oh, yeah. Christopher McDonald and Francis Conroy in their cookie cutter suburban house. What yes. a scene. I th- this, this is probably the best scene in the movie. They're my number one I just like had more fun with. But I think the brilliance of this scene, the awkwardness of this scene, and just literally... I think the whole scene is just the camera at the end of the table, basically. And Mm. you're watching Murray in between the two, these two people who are like, it's to me. And again, perspective to me, it's like Francis Conroy's character was like in love with Bill. It was like probably the love of her life. And she had to settle for this guy who's kind of sucks yeah she sold out because she's a hippie yeah. and now she's living like mm-hmm. the squarest lifestyle possible In, and you can tell it's killing right. her and and like the whole thing of her not wanting to have his kids and he wanted to have children and, uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. dagger of a line so just the dinner scene for you just the dinner scene specifically this like dinner moment yes yeah it's the build of the kid and you know uh he said he's a bachelor and uh, no ki- And then when she asks him, they ask him, do you have kids? Like no kids that I know of and just shoots this look at her. He does that. Like he does it in the Jessica Lang scene too, which I also love, but like, mm-hmm. Oh man, I was just watching that scene. Like, wow, this is perfectly uncomfortable. And if, and if I may jump in, 
I would I will also say that it is my it is my second as well. Oh, but, yeah. But I, but I couldn't decide whether it was when the husband came home or if it was just Dora and Don together, because it's this thing that Jarmusch does. Like I think he's been known to say before that he just is like whatever. I don't even care about backstory. Like backstory, whatever. He allows the elements. He allows the elements and the mood to tell us everything that we need. Like Brad was saying earlier. You see, you know, the the broke down cars and you see the pretty homes and the plastic little 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 details. And, you know, you have the daughter named Lolita and the race car in the front yard. Like we know everything we need to know about these people without knowing anything else. The animal psychic books. Oh, my God. All of these fine little moments even in Winston's office, you know? And it's like, but this scene particularly, I felt like was a highlight, was a highlight of that, of that, the power of that, um, the power that like objects and mood can have on film. Anyway, that would also be my number two too. Well, uh, my number two is actually a Winston scene. It's uh, still early on. It's when he is, he has told Don to make his list of girlfriends and he doesn't think Don has done it. Well, he, he knows Don has done it, but Don has protested that he has not done it and will not do it. And Winston's on the cell phone. And again, using the depth of field, you watch Winston walk across the screen on the phone outside of Bill Murray's house. And then he comes in talking to Don on the phone and he's he, he literally makes him hold on. He goes, he's talking to him on the phone. He says, hold on, because now he's there in person with him. <laughs> he talks to him in person and then goes back on the phone with him as he's walking away and says, sorry about that. It gets back to the conversation that they were having. And it's so funny. Jeffrey Wright is such a delight in this film as the noir obsessed perpetuator mm-hmm. catalyst of this whole thing. Truly. Uh, it's it's really great. He's so phenomenal. And this had to be one of the first times I ever saw Jeffrey Wright on film. Uh, for me, I, I think. Yeah, that scene's absolutely hilarious. Definitely the hardest I laughed in this whole movie. It's it's my number it's my number one, actually, if I can just Oh well please elaborate. It's a, yeah, I have written down here like reading the letter, the transition to the nighttime and the cell phone house scene. Um, I don't know what it is about the transitions. I have a difficult time. I think my Gemini energy here. Okay. I have like a stoner. I've been high on film my whole life. Okay. (laughs) I, I can't quite decide which scene I want. So I want the transitions between the scenes, you know, it is sort of some like limbo bardo Buddhistic kind of energy that, that you get from a Jarmushian film as well. Right. But it's the smoking, it's the smoking scene with the daughter Oh yeah, the smoking scene with the do- no, no, it's just cannabis sativa. It's just cannabis sativa, <laughs> yeah. and then it immediately transitions to the nighttime, and he's like writing it down, and that cell phone scene, like you're saying, it's like so well shot, hilarious, while also being so natural. Like who, like, I don't know, like, wow, it was so well done. And that's why it's at the top. And I have written on the side here, Jeffrey Wright. Because oh. <laughs> he just like, like, I'm just like, dude, like, what? Who are you? Wow. 
Well, this actually transitions well into my number one, which is the intro scene of Winston when Bill, right after Bill, right after Don gets the letter and he comes in and he's like having, you know, problems with his computer. Oh, and then Don opens the letter and reads it. And then it transitions to, um, well, first of all, when he reads the letter, it's like this, the pan, the, the camera panning away from him and like this really deep emotional moment. And Winston just goes, congratulations, you're a father. I laughed my ass off when he <laughs> yeah. did it. And then to go from that, and now we've already like learned that Winston is like into detective fiction like you know detective stories for them for him to then take the letter and start like with a magnifying glass like going through it like a detective was such a little fun little capper to that scene for me i was like oh we are okay now we're into this movie that was the point in the movie where i was like okay we're in this now i see where what what this is and what this is going to be and i am all for it because this is this scene is so fun that is that is wonderful because when we when he fixes the problem with like the internet or whatever, <laughs> yeah. we see that Winston is reading like what the dissection of a what was it? What was the title on the screen? It was like the dissection of a murder plot or like oh something about like a murder yeah, plot or a detective like plot or something. And it was really it was really kind of funny because yeah, you yeah. see this thing literally written out and you can read it for a moment, and then moments later, a letter is revealed. <laughs> It's you know, so and, it's, and then it begins, and it's like, oh. Well, guys, I, I mean, I think this is appropriate that I'm going last here, but my number one is the kids scene till the end. Yes, right? that was. I was hoping we'd get to that. Oh. That was oh, okay. that was my yeah, other yeah. number three, and I was hoping we would. Mm. We were going to discuss that. I kind of assumed we would. So you mean this like eating the sandwich scene? Oh. Yeah, getting him the sandwich, having that conversation, and then almost as as important if not more important the kid leaving bill murray's looking for him seeing the car with funny enough a cameo by bill murray's actual son in it stare at him and drive away Mm. it the open-endedness of this movie and the burden i guess that that don johnson's left with now uh, i hesitate to say burden because i think it also could be a a newfound need to have a child Mm. i'm not sure what Mm. it is like whether he's now just burdened with like i have a son somewhere and i could be anyone because you watch him do it to the kid that the girls are fawning over on the budget bus to the from the airport to the car and the girls are talking about the guy and they're so complimentary and he's like that could be my son and he's so proud but of course it's just some nobody just like everyone in this movie. Yeah, it's just nobody's. It's a really subtle but important thing, I think, that not only maybe, I don't know, I feel like I want to give credit to Bill Murray for this, mostly. Is that, is that he gives this little, like, thing well, to all of these younger men that he sees along the way after he knows, after he knows that he possibly has a son of a certain age. Every, every other guy that fits that kind of profile but i mean it's done in a way that jarmusch is also like kind of red herring us like like oh what do you see do you think so too do you think so too what's this guy what's this guy well jarmusch is red herring us the entire Ah, film with the pink elements 
like with typewriters, oh everything. Yeah. I mean, all the clues coming back is, I think, also what makes this movie so brilliant is that he's because he, Don is looking for those clues. Mm -hmm. So, of course, mm -hmm. he's seeing those affirming clues. Mm -hmm. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. For him. Well, and, and, and that's what I love. About and it. I think that ending is like I looked at that as like comeuppance. Is like you, oh, you sure, yeah. treating these women like that all over through these years. Now you're stuck with this curse of maybe you have a son out there and it could be anybody. And for the rest of your life, you're just going to wonder, he's just going to wonder if he's going to look at every kid that age, every guy that age and wonder if it's his son. And I feel like that's almost his punishment mm. for how he's treated women throughout his life. That's interesting. Yeah. The, the, but, the curse of the Don Juan. The curse exactly. Of the and, like, but that's what makes this movie so brilliant is like, you can look at it in so many different ways at each relationship in so many different ways and that ending in so many different ways. All right. Well, I mean, this is a pretty fantastic movie. So uh, there's a lot of best scenes. I could go on and on, but as the show dictates, if there is a best scene, that means wow. there is a worst scene bottom three worst scenes i i imagine this will go pretty quickly my three are all pretty ridiculous or like nitpicky i should say me too yeah uh number three uh, like i can knock this one out quickly number three is just a, the scene when bill murray's in a motel room and he just like walks out the door and he's like looking out into the world basically it's uh, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just felt like, okay, yeah, I've seen this scene in so many movies and what are we really accomplishing here? Not much. Mm. Um, it just, I mean, again, nitpicky, but I was like, yeah, I don't need this scene. I kind of get where he's at at this point in the journey it, it, emotionally for him. So I don't need the scene of him out on a motel stoop looking out into the world. It just felt unnecessary. Uh, my number three is pretty easy too. It's a, uh... That the uh, florist, Sun Green, who bandages his eye, uh, she knows about Don Johnson. Now, Bill Murray's called Don Johnston, and he's been confused with Don Johnson. And in 2005, Don Johnson has not had the resurgence that he has had now. And we're talking a 21-year-old. Now, I don't know. She, she might have heard the name, but I don't think she'd start like laughing like she does about the name confusion maybe she was a big nash bridges fan well that's very true but i will say my number three is compounded a little with uh, uh my number one okay so so put a pin in that and we'll get sounds back to it hmm. ryan do you have a number three this is going to be controversial <laughs> i didn't care for the eating sandwich behind the diner scene with the yeah. kid and Don. Just that moment, the dialogue, the exchange, the setup, it just was like it just felt so contrived. Uh, what Don said, oh, you have something philosophical to offer. And then Don says mm. this like past, future, present thing. And then you go, oh, are you a Buddhist or something? Um, and it's just like, oh gosh, really? It just like, it just felt, it just felt bad for me. I didn't love that philosophy line either, quite honestly. Like I like that scene a lot and I really like the ending in general, kind of it's more what that scene is leading to, but I get that. I buy that. I mean, I, I'm not going to defend it too hard because I, I do like the, 
the comeuppance of him actually thinking he's meeting his son more than I care about the dialogue. Um, But if I had to say anything, I I guess it would just be like, I like that it's kind of awkwardly dumb. Uh, But uh, again, I'm not going to push too hard on that at all. Awkwardly (laughs) dumb. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, number two. Number two for me were the dream sequences. The couple, the kind of the flashback dream sequences. Um, Again, just kind of not necessary, especially for a movie where we're kind of sitting with Bill. We're we're spending a lot of this movie just kind of sitting with Bill Murray and kind of watching him react and watching him kind of go over everything without dialogue, without flashbacks, just like basically camera on him and watch him be this character. So I didn't think we needed these like flashback moments of going back through the women or just these like quick little edit things just didn't feel necessary for me and felt a little out of place in the movie. Yeah, I, I guess that was, they, they were not even a blip on my radar. I mean, I thought they were fine. I'm t- I mean, I'm reaching for things. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, reach, I'm reaching for worse scenes. And to me, I, that was just something like you remove that from this movie and it's, the, the movie's oh. just as good, if not better. Yeah. Slightly. Brad, my number two is literally that they say Don Juan <laughs> eight times in the first 15 minutes of this fucking movie. Like, what are you, Don Juan or something? And he's watching Don Juan the movie, Don Juan DeMarco the movie. And they're like, all right. And then uh, Julie Delphi's mm-hmm. like, I'm just tired of your Don Juan mm-hmm. shtick. And like, I, I, they can't stop saying Don Juan. And I'm like, we know. <laughs> We get it. You didn't even have to say it once for us. His name's literally it, we Don. Get Don Johnston. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> that Good being point. said, this film deals in a lot of archetypes. And that's part of the thing that I think we're going to talk about in also my number one. So again, one more pin leading to my number one. My number two for a larger sequence with a major two major players is uh, Julie Delpy as Sherry in the whole scene, the goodbye, the moving out. I don't know. I, I will I will I will go as far as to say that from like beginning to end of that scene, I could just like have it rewritten, have it reworked. I don't want it removed, obviously. Actually, no, maybe. Maybe it would be cool that maybe maybe I just like see Sherry's pink heels or pink dress going out the door. That's all I see. Like I just didn't it was like like you said, you're Don Juan Ways. The dialogue was generic. Julie Delpy, like I don't know. There's a lot of uh anyway i guess a lot of missed opportunity but maybe i i actually wish i would have marked that down now in retrospect because i did find that opening scene just to be a huge exposition dump like it just felt like the dialogue was all written just to understand who he is and that was kind of its purpose so i i i i get, I get where you're going with that ryan i i agree uh so that leads us to our number one our worst scenes I mean, I don't, it, to me, the gratuitousness of the daughter, Sharon Stone's daughter, Lolita the Lolita scene, scene I, I think that's a scene where I look at this movie and I'm like, that's 2005. I don't think that would that scene would be in this movie if it was made today. Okay, that's number one for me as well. Ryan, is that number one for you or do you have something else? No, it's not my, it's not my number one. But as soon as Brad said it, I felt like I should make it a contender. But now I kind of like maybe want to play devil's advocate. Well, we can, because let's get into it then, because it's also my number one, but it's it's in this weird limbo, right? Because this movie exists in archetypes. Mm-hmm. 
and they're all stereotypes. Every single person you meet. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not one person in this film that is not a stereotype. Mm-hmm. So, is it important to have this <laughs> genetic, sex-hungry <laughs> family in this film? And for the name to as uh, be as obviously named as Lolita... And for her to do something as obviously flirtatious as, whoops, I forgot my cell phone and I came out with zero clothes on, laugh tee-hee over the shoulder. And mm-hmm. then for him to also yeah. bed the mother later Pop Popsicles instead of lollipops. <laughs> yeah. And also, what I said, of, uh, just to get this out of the way, my pin from number three, Lolita also confuses him with Don Johnson. Another... <laughs> arguably younger teenage girl knowing about Don Johnson in 2005. And I just do not think that was realistic at all. I mean, Don Johnson is a pretty famous person. Like I, my, Miami vice was a huge 2005 is a low for his career, like popularity sure. was, before Django and before knives out and his now movie research. I mean, but like, 2005, I mean, we were in our, we were 22 I mean, we definitely... And I barely know who John... Oh, Don I knew Don John. I mean, I watched Nash Bridges, so I knew Don Johnson was, but... <laughs> Perhaps I would have been better off if I watched I Nash don't think Bridges, he would have been. But... Although Cheech Marin's very charming in it. <laughs> yeah, he's like his buddy. They have best buds. They're cops together. Cool. Ooh. But anyway, so, Brad, your thoughts on... Logan? Um, Your point's valid. I, I mean, I, I, I think... I think I would have had a lot less of a problem with the scene if, like, Bill Murray isn't sitting there with, like, a smirk throughout it. Felt a little creepy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I I get it. I mean, I think we're supposed to think this is an underage girl. Uh, is my, 100%. So that I just kind of have. Honestly, like, when I, after that scene, I looked up the actress. I was like, obviously, this girl was over 18 when she shot this scene, which she was, like, 21 or something. But, yeah, I... You know, I, 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 your points, I, I think you make a good point. I, I, I won't push back on it too much. It just felt gratuitous in a movie that like already kind of leans in that way with him, kind of like with the flight or the woman at the airport and so on and so forth. But yeah, you're, well, to be clear, I, I don't know, I don't know what exactly point you said. I mean, I, I posed a question. Right, right, right. I'm no, not saying no. that it probably is <laughs> I mean, yeah, the stock. I'm not pro the whole. No, 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 no. I understand what you're saying. Like, I was more saying in your point of like, well, the stock character thing, does it play kind of this? Yeah. Does it have its place in this? I, especially considering how far they go actually naming her Lolita. Mm-hmm. Um, but for yeah. me, I definitely. And Don Johnston and everything. Everything's so obviously allegorical or not allegorical, symbolic. So what you're, say- so what you're saying then not just gratuitous, but also like literally unnecessary to the two of you. You could have called her a Lolita and not asked her to. Yes. She could have been in the robe the whole time. And you have everything. Everything could have been the same. And we would have still had that character. We would have still known Lolita without. You still even get the implication when Sharon Stone comes out the next morning in the same robe after having sex with them. Right. I yeah I'm just someone who at this point I'm like at this point I'm like if you're gonna have people be naked in a movie there better be good purpose for it and that absolutely wasn't Mm. Hmm. because you accomplish the same thing if she's in the robe so 
That's my that's, that's complicated. My that's complicated. That's complicated. Oh, that's so complicated. So and so I guess what I guess it's like a fine line because I don't want to say that you don't have to have nudity in film, but I also Huh, that's I just stupid. think it should be. Oh, I'm not saying because it, cause it, cause it, is, it, it is to be. Purpose. It is to be clear. Like she is to be clear. Like this moment and this actress is to be clear. The only naked person in the whole film, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a child. Well, I mean, that's kind and of it's supposed where... to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a teenage person. Yes. Yeah, it's a t- it's a tough it's a tough it's a tough thing um, because I support kind of I want to like be open and sex positive, but I also want to be um, I don't want you know things to be unnecessary or gratuitous, and I think that there's a difference. Like, you know, you play this game all the time on the show, High on Film here, that you do Trash Star Destroy, and the Destroy is about Michael Bay, and I think Michael Bay, if given this scene, would make it gratuitous. I don't really think that Jim Jarmusch or Bill Murray made it gratuitous, or the actress at all. And I think in the wrong hands Mm. that it would have been a different story. But to me, it felt... It felt, it felt like real in a way that wasn't forced to me. I mean, I think Michael Bay can be way more gratuitous than that with when people are dressed. Yes. So, I I mean, I'm, I I buy, I totally get what you're saying there. It just, it it just felt unnecessary. I, I, I think you accomplished the same thing in the scene without her being naked, especially as perceived as being a teenage girl. Agreed. Well, Ryan. So, what's your number one? Oh, yeah. My number one is a is again a disappointment. I'm sorry to say, I I really like I really love Tilda Swinton, <laughs> and I think Tilda Swinton and Jim Jarmusch like have this like in my imagination. I don't know who they are really. Like <laughs> in my imagination, I think that the two of them are like on this same like wavelength and like planet of generative like radical creative weird energy right i mean like tilda swinton's the person who like slept publicly in a box in a museum like jim jarmusch is like i don't know like gosh he's like what 68 now and like has like full-blown like white hair and like makes crazy shit but like anyway i was just like really disappointed I was just really disappointed with the whole thing, though I love, again, the setting, the the elements, the dog barking, the guys working, the shouting, the hey this, the the swinging open of the door, the, the, the little like hints of things here and there, the weird rusty pink typewriter in the grass, but the scene actually between Penny and Dawn was just like, what? 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 Definitely left something to be a little desired. I kind of agree with you there. Isn't it though? But it fits into the archetype. Yeah. You need someone who it ended very badly and who is not going to put up with Dawn's shit. Because obviously like Jessica Lang's relationship ended very badly, but she was polite about it. But Tilda Swinton, Penny, is not a polite person. And their relationship ended badly. And she's 
still not over it, not having it, fucked on. And I think, I mean, I think it's too brief. I would love Tilda Swinton to be in this movie more. Yeah, that's it for me too. The role yeah. serves its purpose. Yeah, sure, sure. I think true. you need okay. it in the way that they've set up all his relationships. But actually, funny enough, now that I'm saying this, Brad, I think I'm arguing myself into Michelle Pepe being his one true love, the one that got away, because that's the archetype yes, that's missing. It's right? true. That is true. Oh. And she's the one who's yep. dead. But although arguably we we never meet the mother. Arguably. We can debate this all damn yes. night. But there is something else that needs to happen. <laughs> it's time for milking it. The favorite game of our podcast. We're going to dr- draw. Hmm. Can I stop saying that? Uh, we're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000, and it's going to supply us with a little bit of information for each of us today. First, well, second, it's going to give us a genre, actor, or director card. Something to use to reimagine Broken Flowers in whatever shape or form we'd like to reimagine it. The other thing it'll give us is a pitch time. Either 30 seconds, the elevator pitch, one minute, the water cooler pitch, or 90 seconds, the boardroom pitch to get out your original title and a quick summary of what your movie will be. Your, your remade broken flowers under a new guise. So we can put it out there on HBO max and theaters same day (laughs) and make as much money as we can for the studio system. Capiche? Capiche. Great. All right, let's roll out the big computer here and see what she has for us today. Boy, oh boy. Brad, the computer has you going up first. You have the elevator pitch. All right. Going up in the elevator pitch. 30 seconds to do Broken Flowers. Oh, this is fairly appropriate. As a coming of age slash sex comedy. Whoa. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. That sounds good. That works out pretty well. That's, yeah, I see that. Oh, I'm next. I have the water cooler pitch. One American minute. To do Broken Flowers as a martial arts film. I am a little in love with this, actually. I think this is a great idea. And I think it's going to be super easy. (laughs) So, uh, Ryan, that means you're last. You have the boardroom pitch. The executive pitch. 90 seconds. A minute and a half. To do Broken Flowers. Very interesting. As a war film. Oh. So, Making those big bucks. (laughs) <laughs> the tragedies of war yeah uh well we're gonna take a moment to gather our thoughts and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this all right guys here we are right in the middle of milking it ideally we have three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment wow let's see what we came up with uh, Brad, you're first with the elevator pitch. 30 seconds to get out Broken Flowers as a coming-of-age film slash sex comedy. 
whatever, whichever direction you'd like to lead. Kind of just did it all. We'll allow Thank for you. both. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm excited to hear what you got. The elevator doors are closing. You're in there with the executive and go ahead. So this almost plays out a little bit like a sequel, but we're going to be following two timelines. The first timeline is Don Johnston 19 years ago in the year he had these relationships with all these women. So we're going to kind of follow him and see what happened in each one and why they all fell apart. The other timeline will be his son traveling across country to meet him and kind of he's a virgin and as he's traveling by bus across country and meets different women and he has his own relationships kind of going at the same time in the movie Budding Flowers. Uh, wow. 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 I Brad. am supporting this film. <laughs> Sold on the elevator before we got to the sixth floor. Yeah. Oh, wow. so on good. the elevator too. That's great. That was a great yeah. idea. I like that. There's a lot, I, there's a lot that can be played with there. Yeah. There's part of, I almost wanted to do it. I, I, well, I didn't want to mess with, cause I think Jarvis does such a great job of like not having us decide what those relationships are really like without seeing it. So there was a part of me that like, didn't really want to do that, but I was like, eh, it's a good idea. So. Wow. 30 seconds, Brad. Damn. <laughs> I know. <sighs> All right, I have a martial arts film here for the water cooler pitch. One minute to get out my martial arts film. Here we go. Our hero, Don, the emperor's finest warrior, although he's a bit of a a, a womanizer who's a little bit of a disgrace because of his unchecked womanizing. Um, He receives a mysterious letter letting him know that his estranged son has been kidnapped. The only problem is he doesn't know who kidnapped him. He goes from suspect to suspect, enemy to enemy, including some some ex-wives or ex-lovers here and there uh, looking for his son, but only finding trouble, engaging in a fight every time. uh, And uh, in the end, he's exhausted, triumphant in all his battles, but unfortunately not in his quest to find and free his son. So he's left with that moment at the end, just like Bill Murray is here in open wounds, broken flowers. No, oh, that's good. Good title. I I get why you were happy about that title. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I really like that title. <laughs> nice work, wow. man. Yeah, that was real good. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like it works like in a Kill Bill kind of way where you go from, you know, you're crossing names off the list just like Bill Murray is here. Totally. There you go. Ryan. The boardroom pitch. Oh my goodness. I don't know if the two of you, I don't know if High on Film is ready. Is ready for for this. I think we are. High on Film. We're very ready. Yeah. 90 seconds in the executive boardroom in in front of all of Warner Brothers. Wow. 90 seconds to get it. Broken Flowers out as a war film. Are you ready? I wasn't really good at extemporaneous speaking in high school, but I'm ready. <laughs> Great. Here you are, sir. The, the, the executives are allowing you to speak finally. Go. Thank you, everybody, for gathering here today. This is very poignant. We're going to be talking about the uh, insurgency at the Capitol. Okay, I know everyone's already really interested. <laughs> Great. Here we go. So... We're going to be imagining that they stormed the Capitol and that they took it. The war is here on American soil. 
Civil War people, a civil war. We've been wanting this film and we've been wanting this story for a long time, but we really haven't had, we really haven't had like the angle in, and now we have the perfect angle in people. And what we're going to do here, um, I, I know that you're going to think this is a little odd, but what we're going to do is going to be a character driven piece. We're going to be following some of the Proud Boys, some of the Oath Keepers around in their daily life. It's going to be very mundane, but it's also going to be filled with this new civil war idea and mentality um so the insurgency happens oh yeah by the way we're calling the film scattered roses right roses carnations valor victory the supreme example of a matri- of american patriotism and our men and women who fought to storm the capital are going to be followed and remembered from here on out now see that's the twist right that's the twist right because we don't really believe that we we don't really want we don't really want to like support these people anyway we're just trying to sell the bucks people we're just trying to get the money and this is gonna be a great war film i'm done i'm over i'm over i'm over wow Wow. that was uh yeah quite a movie I, i love the name scattered roses although boy yeah i know i know a, a pro MAGA propaganda I, film. I can't. I can't wait. It's gonna. Be- <laughs> With yeah. uh, people like who, who is what's that guy's name who does all those crappy right wing conspiracy movies? Kirk Cameron. <sighs> no, is it Dinesh D'Souza? Is that him or is he a good? No, guy? I think that guy sucks. Guys, we just sold three brand new movies to this I video mean, system. Yeah. So congratulations Woo! on your handshake contract. Love it. I hate to say it because I could talk about this movie for another hour, but it's the end of the show and there's only one last thing to do. And that's Brad Davis. You just watched Broken Flowers. What are you going to do next? Funny. You mentioned it before. Uh, I was, I'm going to watch Patterson. Uh, I, I I mean, I, I, Adam Driver interests me a lot and I had forgot that, that this was a, that was a Jarmusch movie until I was looking it up earlier today. So that's, yeah, that's next on my list. It is a quiet, beautiful film about art, and I thought about it for a month. Oh, after wow. Okay. It. Love this movie. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to do. Oh, to be in your <laughs> shoes again. Ryan McKelvey, you just watched Broken Flowers. What are you going to do next? I am going to immediately remove this fungus gnat from my propagation box <laughs> speaking of i love it going back to plants Bobby. and things like there's a lot of plants here and i've the whole podcast i've been watching this fungus gnat fly around and it's gonna have to go away but i really 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 have been wanting to set time to watch minari if you ah. don't if you haven't read about it or heard yeah. about it the viewers out there um, Minari is a film that is about a Korean and Korean American immigrant family and relationships. And it's really, from what I've seen and read, really beautifully shot with an amazing cast of people. Because um, I, yeah, I just think it's going to be really, really, really great. I loved it. I saw it and oh. I loved it. I third that recommendation. Chris Maxwell, you just watched Broken Flowers. What are you going to do next? Well, Brad, like like Bill Murray at the end of this film, I'm going to continue my search for a copy of Year of the Horse, the aforementioned Neil Young biopic that, or documentary. I think I think it's a, a, a doc 
uh, that uh, Jarmusch made uh, and I can't find. In addition to that, though, I might also try to track down another seemingly hard film to find. It's called The Mother and the Whore. Uh, it's the film that this movie, this movie, Broken Flowers, was dedicated to uh, Jean Ustache. And he made this movie. Uh, it's called La Madman et la Putain. It's a French film from 1973. And apparently it's the main inspiration for Broken Flowers. Mm. And I kind of want to see it, but it's also proving a little difficult mm. to find. Although I've, I haven't exhausted all my avenues yet. So we will see. But those two, uh, I mean, nothing makes me want to watch a film more than not being able to watch it's... it. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do next. Guys. Thank you so much for a wonderful show. Thank you for bringing broken flowers to the show, Ryan, and tying it all back around with your botany expertise at the end here. Do you want anyone to follow you or see you and find you on social media? I mean, yeah, sure. You can check me out if you want. My name is Ryan M. McKelvey. Um, and that'll probably lead you to stuff that's like... I don't know, like live art and performance and me looking like a clown or maybe also my Insta mm -hmm. where you'll probably see me in a jockstrap holding a begonia. So that's always great, right? Um, my friend and I are growing. Your Insta game's You know, my friend and oh, I, I try. My friend and I um, are growing plants and maybe selling them. So check out Thrum Houseplants if you're looking for that. Um, I don't know. And if you're clever... And naughty, maybe you'll find me other places. You never know. <laughs> I am a performer. I have all kinds of egos out there. Finally, someone using our podcast as a dating app. It's about time. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> anyway, it's been a really great time. This has been so exciting. Dude, an absolute pleasure to have yes. you on the show. Uh, it's You are a wonderful person and... Uh, no less a podcast guest. You are fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. Brett? Yeah. Uh, at BD Always GP on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for choosing this movie. I'm so glad I watched it. Other, I might not have otherwise, like it, it wouldn't have been high on my list of to-dos. So thank you. Look at that. I'm at Cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. <laughs> do what you got to do there. And remember to check out Death at Sunset, a radio play podcast. It's great. Uh, and that's it. Goodbye. Hey, Bill. Chris Maxwell here, podcaster extraordinaire. I don't want to take up too much of your time, so I'll get right to the point. A sequel to Larger Than Life. 30 years later, Matthew McConaughey is back as Tip Tucker, still sore over you pulling the wool over his eyes in the first movie. He exacts his revenge by kidnapping Vera the Elephant's son. We get the gang back together, you, Garoppolo, the elephant, and you're on the road again in an effort to stop McConaughey from selling the sun to ivory dealers in Larger Than Life 2, Never Forget. Okay, let me know. Thanks. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com.